Today we're in 2 Corinthians 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. And we'll stop there. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. I thank you that you have desired and designed us to be here for these verses. And I pray that for all ages that you would allow us to hear your truth and be inspired by it and be motivated to change and to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this chapter begins with the word and. And if any of you have ever paid attention to school, you'd know that's a no-no. You don't begin sentences with the word and unless you're advanced and you're being literary and you know what you're doing. For the most part, you don't want to begin sentences with the word and, let alone paragraphs, let alone chapters. And so if you're a little bit OCD about grammar like I am, that might bother you. I don't like coming into a chapter and the first word I see is and. doesn't feel right. So let's remember that when Paul wrote this book, he didn't write it with chapters and verses. Did you all know that? That Paul didn't write this letter with chapters and verses? Did you guys all know, kids too, did you know that when the Bible was written, it didn't contain chapters and numbers and verses like we have today? They were written like books or like letters that didn't have that kind of separation. In fact, these separations are pretty recent. There was a man named Stephen Langton who divided the Bible, the whole Bible, into chapters in 1227 A.D. There will not be a test. And then, a little while later, a Jewish rabbi named Nathan, he added verses to the Old Testament. That was around 1448 A.D. And then as far as the New Testament, there was a guy named Robert Estienne, and he added verses to the New Testament in around 1555. So and since then, all Bibles have had chapters and verses, but the point being, it wasn't like that originally. And so, if there's ever confusion as you're reading through the Bible about why did the verse end with a comma, why didn't they just make that whole sentence be one verse, or why does this chapter begin with the word and, just know it wasn't Paul's fault. It happened after him. Paul had no idea there was a chapter 6 in his letter to the Corinthians. It was just a letter to him. But give the guys some credit, though, who divided this book, because 2 Corinthians is not an easy book to divide. It's helpful for us to divide a book into chapters and verses because it helps us to reference things and to point back to things and to know what the Bible says and be able to say, it says it right here. It's helpful, and for, for like memorization, it's helpful. Um, but 2 Corinthians, Paul stays on the same thought for so long that like, if I was the one dividing up this book into chapters, I might have made the first seven chapters chapter 1. So um, give them some credit. Still, 
this might not have been the best place to begin a new chapter with the word and. Anyway, when we see the word and, obviously and is a connection word, right? It, it connects two thoughts together. He says one thing and then he says another thing. So when you see a verse beginning with the word and, you really should never start there. You should go back earlier and try to find a good starting point for the thought that Paul is at now, right? So you see the word and, you want to connect it. So what I want to do is look back to chapter 5 and kind of show you what I think is the sort of connecting thought, the first thought that Paul's connecting with the word and. And I hope at some point I'll get some of you guys looking at me while I'm teaching. (laughs) Okay, so chapter 5, verse 18 Paul says, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then in verse 19, God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Reconciling. You know what that word means, to reconcile? Okay, when two friends are mad at each other, and someone says, I want you to be friends again, he's trying to reconcile them. Noah, reconciling means when two people that are against each other become friends. They're reunited. They're reconciled. They're no longer enemies. And Paul says, we have this ministry to reconcile people to God. God has committed to us the word of reconciliation, which is the gospel. And then in 5 verse 20, Paul says, we are ambassadors of Christ. And then in 5 verse 21, Paul says, Christ became sin for us so that we might become righteousness of God in him and working together with him, chapter 6, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So there's that connecting word, and. So Paul is saying, we have this ministry of sharing the gospel, this ministry of reconciliation. God has committed it to us. We are ambassadors of Christ, and he's made us righteous, and now we urge you to not receive the grace of God in vain. So that's what the word and is connecting. It's that thought. It's this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what our ministry looks like. And now we urge you also to not receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, Paul is saying, what we're doing, I want you to do also, because if you don't do what we're doing, you're receiving the grace of God in vain. We'll get there in a second. But I like how he says, and working together with him. It's a great reminder that when we work for God, God is also working. You know that? God doesn't just say, I want you to do this, and then leave you to it, and sit back and close the gates of heaven and say, good luck. He actually works with you while you're working. So if, yes? Exactly. He does that too, yeah. Yes, he did. You're right. Exactly. So, that's my next point. Beats me to my punch. God does work together with us, but he works more than us. Right? The miracle of parting the Red Sea was much more difficult than Moses holding out his staff, wasn't it? But God did command Moses to do that, but then God came in and did a whole lot more. So 
And I say that because just the fact that God calls us to do things and then God works together with us, I would avoid the term partnership to describe that relationship. Some people like that idea. I'm partnering with God on this. And I don't like that because in the world we live in, when you talk about partners, that usually means a level of equality between them. Like partners of a law firm, for example. And sure, you might have senior partners, but when you talk about partnering with somebody, that that sort of indicates you're on the same level. And Paul never talks about his walk with God in those terms. He never calls God his partner. Okay, He says, God is working with me, but when he wants to define that relationship, he says things like, God is my master, I'm his slave. God is my Lord, I'm his servant. That's the relationship. It's not equal partners. And so... Yes, we are working, and when we're working, God is working with us, but God is working a lot more than us. He's been working before us. He'll be working after us. And in the meantime, he's gracious enough to allow us to do a little bit of things to help along, but he's the one truly working more than we are, but he's working with us. So that's, it's an encouragement to us. We're not left on our own to do stuff. When, when we're in the, in the will of God, doing what God's called us to do, then he's also working with us in those things. So now to the point of what Paul is really saying here, he's saying, look, we do these things. We are in this ministry of reconciliation. We, God has been committed to us. He's committed to us this word of reconciliation, the gospel. We are ambassadors. And now working together with him, we urge you to not receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, do these things like we're doing them. You also, the word also is there. So this isn't just about being an apostle. The things Paul's describing, it wasn't just about him and Timothy. When he's saying, we're doing these things, he wasn't just saying, because we're apostles, we do this. You don't have to do this. We live this way, but you don't have to. He's saying, no, we live this way, and because of that now, with God, we urge you, live the same way. Otherwise, it's taking the grace of God in vain. Are you grateful for your salvation? Do you value the grace of God that was given to you. When you sin and God forgives you, do you value that? Do you recognize what was at stake and what it cost? If so, Paul says, prove it. Be an ambassador. Take part in the ministry of reconciliation. Share the gospel. Make new disciples. Then the question is, okay, where do you start? How do you do that? Verse 2, Paul says, For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, it's interesting. You may have heard this verse before. I've heard it, but I've always only heard it in a gospel sermon where someone is trying to motivate people in the crowd to accept the gospel, to believe the gospel, to repent and turn to God, and they'll say, Now is the time of salvation. But it's interesting because Paul here isn't using these verses in that way. He's using it talking to believers, urging them to share the gospel. So what Paul's saying, he's not saying, get saved, now is the time. He's saying, share the gospel because now is the time of salvation. There are still people here to be saved, so you've got to share the gospel. So there are still people who are lost that God will save, and he's committed that work to us. And if we value the grace of God and don't want to take it in vain, we're going to participate in that work 
God working together with us. Okay, so again, let's say we believe all that. Okay, I believe the gospel. I'm grateful for what God did on the cross. I understand that I'm supposed to share the gospel. What does that actually look like? Well, obviously, it'll look differently for different people. Different styles, different personalities, different gifts. And obviously, you might hear pastors and evangelists and preachers share the gospel a lot. But they're not the only ones that are supposed to share the gospel. We all are. We're all on the same mission, but we have different gifts. There is the gift of evangelism. And you might find those people are much more at ease sharing with people all over the place in any kind of forum and format about the gospel. And you might not be that person. That doesn't mean you're off the hook. This is for all of us. Before I get more into what it looks like, though, I'm going to say something that might make this unclear. So I want to make this clear point first. So this isn't my main point, but I want to make sure this point is clear. I do think it's important that we know what we believe, why we believe it. I think it's important to know the gospel, to be able to actually articulate the gospel. I think it's important to be able to defend the gospel. Now, see, here in the South, we're not really facing a culture that hasn't heard the gospel. Sure, you may occasionally encounter somebody that doesn't really know maybe the finer points of the gospel. They may have heard a false gospel, but chances are they know the Bible. They know who Jesus is. They know some of the stories. It's not like we're going to frontier missions where no one has heard. And if we just know these basic things, we can just share these basic things and they can choose to believe it or not. What we're facing here is a culture that for the most part has heard it and has rejected it. And most of those who've rejected it have done so for a reason. Most people who have heard the gospel and rejected it aren't just like on the fence and just ready to believe as soon as you invite them. There's some reason. Maybe they've had a bad church experience. Maybe they have had bad personal relationships that cause them to question that God loves them. Maybe they don't understand a loving God and the evil they see in the world. Maybe they don't understand, maybe they believe evolution is the right thing and they don't see how God fits into that. Or maybe they're more philosophical, but they have reasons. And so in our day and age, it's really important to know what we believe and to be able to defend that. It makes a lot of sense. So I do believe that. I want to make that point clear. That's a very important thing. And in fact, this week I've been thinking about different things we as a church could do. I feel like I I would like to do some separate things. Kind of like how we did Gospel Roots that one time. I think it could be helpful for us as a church to do some kind of sessions on how to read the Bible for yourself, how to apply it, how, like kind of some easy rules to do that. And I'm also thinking about some easy sessions on just basic, how to share your faith in different contexts, looking at a, like maybe like your study about the, um, the case for Christ thing, something that kind of gives you some good answers. Those are important things. But it's, that's not all there is to sharing the gospel. That's why I wanted to say that first. It's very important. I'm not diminishing that at all. It's very important, but that isn't the only thing. I also want to make a different point clear. You might have heard the phrase, share the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. I don't like that statement. I like the statement as it was originally made by the guy who made it for the reason he made it. But the way it's used today is often used as an excuse to never share your faith. I'm just going to live my life and be good to people. And that's how I share the gospel. 
That isn't the sharing the gospel, though. Paul makes it clear in Romans 10. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So it's clear in Paul's mind, you can't be saved if you don't hear the gospel. So just to make it clear, it's nice when you're driving in your car and someone's speeding up on the on-ramp and you slow down so they can merge in safely. But they're not going to heaven just because you were nice enough to let them merge in. Right? It's good to be good. And if you have a bumper sticker on the back of your car that says, like, got Jesus, and someone sees you do that, sure, that's a great thing, but that's not getting them into heaven. They still need to hear the gospel. So the whole idea, preach the gospel, all times when necessary, use words. Be cautious because don't use that as an excuse to just live a good life and never share your faith. We've got to actually share our faith too. Okay, so with those two points having been made, what I want to say and what Paul is saying here, I believe, is that being an evangelist, not, not the spiritual gift of an evangelist, but being an evangelist in terms of God has called us all to evangelize, doing that is more than just having the right words to say. It's more than trying to figure out how to have a conversation with somebody. Being part of this commission, the Great Commission, is, is an entire restructuring and reordering of the way you look at life. It's completely different than how you lived before. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, we no longer recognize anyone according to the flesh. When we realize our old life died, we have a new life in Christ. And now we're his servants to whom he's committed the, the ministry of reconciliation. When we recognize that as long as we're on earth, we are still within the commission that Christ commissioned us to, to share the gospel, make disciples, take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that we're still in that. And that every day we live, Christ is looking at us in that mission. We're not just called to live and to know him and just live our lives. We're actually on a mission right now. And when you recognize that, it begins to restructure your entire life. You begin to see all things in terms of how do all these things relate to that primary calling. And this is kind of what Paul goes into next. Having just explained the ministry he's been part of, he urges the church to join in that mission and then says, starting in verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses. So Paul says a big part of what it means to be an ambassador of Christ and sharing this word of reconciliation has to do with how you live your life. It really does. Paul says don't give offense to anything. Otherwise, the ministry could be discredited. Now imagine, okay, kid's question. What is your favorite restaurant? How about you, Giacomo? Giacomo, favorite restaurant? Favorite restaurant? Where? Guitar. Restaurant. Okay. So let's say, what's your favorite meal at McDonald's? What do you get when you go there? How about you, Giacomo? Okay. The, the McGriddle? The, the, the pancake burger thing? Okay. 
So let's say you go to McDonald's and you get what? What are you going to get? Anybody? Big Mac. Big Mac. And fries. Now you're so excited. It's been a long day. You're hungry. You get your thing. You get drive through. You pay for it. They've worn the plastic gloves so you know it's sanitary. You trust it. You're, you're happy. You pull into the parking lot. You can't even wait to get home. You're just hungry. You pull in the parking lot. You pull over. You open this thing up. And you look at your burger. And you see a cockroach in it. What happens to that burger? Do you just remove the cockroach and you still eat the burger? No. It's ruined the entire burger for you, hasn't it? It's, no, that cockroach ruined the entire burger for you, didn't it? It's good just to be thrown away now. So what Paul's saying here is, even if you have the right words, even if you can present the gospel like this wonderful Big Mac, if your life is this cockroach that just offends people and is not at all living the right way, they're not going to eat your gospel. They're going to throw it away. They're not going to say, well... I like the burger, hate the cockroach, I'll just throw away the cockroach and I'll keep the burger. It's going to discredit the burger. So if you share your faith and you have all the right answers and you know all the facts and you've got this thing down packed and you can go on a street corner and you can preach it and you can do these things, but your life doesn't match up to what you're saying, Paul's saying that would discredit you. And so Paul says how we live does matter in sharing the gospel. And then he says... Um, in verse 4, and everything commending ourselves as servants. Well, I'll tell you something. If you have a mindset focused on serving other people, you're not going to very often offend them. If your mind is focused on what does that person need? What does that person want? Where is that person at? How could I help that person? They're not going to be very easily offended at you. And even if somebody's mad at you, falsely accusing you, being mean to you. If you're thinking, they must have had a hard day today. I wonder what's going on. Maybe I could help them in some way. They're going to be very challenged to find a reason to be offended at you. So Paul says, be a servant. We are servants of God. Love others, serve them, help them, show them that you care about what they want and need. And then when you share the gospel, that's a good Big Mac. It came with fries. If your life goes along with it, right? So it's not don't share the gospel, just live a good life. And it's also not just live a good life, don't share the gospel. Both are important. Sharing the gospel verbally is important, but how you live also matters. It's not always easy. Paul begins to provide some details on how it's been for him, mentioning beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger and all kinds of suffering in other words and even when they were beating him he was thinking of how to live in such a way that these people beating him might believe the gospel and be saved and that's hard and Paul's going to go on to list many more aspects of what it looks like to live this way but I didn't want to read them today because I felt like I'd be rushed to get through them. So next week I want to pick up on those and kind of look more in detail at, at what some of these words mean and how those relate to him living out the gospel. I don't just want to go fast through that. You can ask me after. Um, but what I want to do just with the rest of this time is just put this thought in your mind 
because as we go into our time of worship afterwards, be thinking about it, and we're also going to pick up on it next week, this thought that, when, that we are on a mission to share the gospel, and it's not just about the words. It is definitely about that, and I do want to help with that wherever I can, but we need to start seeing our entire lives as if we're actually on a mission and, and how all of the aspects of our life r- relate to that, whether it's your desires or your ambitions or your pursuits or your responsibilities or your relationships or your future. You can ask God to help you see these things in light of the great commission that we're all on. How can I be a living example of the gospel in my workplace or in my studies or in my friendships? How can I use the gifts and talents that you've given me to be a servant to others in this world? How can I stop being so offensive and start being an ambassador of Christ? Who can I be praying for in my life even this week that they would be saved and that I could be a good example for them? And as you think on these things, if you feel like writing something down, I would encourage you to do that. Because we're going to, because everyone was late today, we're going to do worship at the end. So it's not going to be as much of a regular, responsive worship time with sharing and prayers. I'm just going to sing these three songs. But we have notepads over there and paper and pencil somewhere. And I think if, if you want to use this time to be reflective and to think about your life, think about the responsibilities you have, maybe the job that you have, the desires you have for your future, the gifts you, the talents you think you have, the resources you have, you can start writing those things down and saying, God, help me to see my entire life in light of this great commission. How can I use these things for your glory? How can I use these things for the great commission? How can I be pleasing to you in these things? I know that I'm going to come before the judgment seat one day and I want my life to matter. So here, God, I lay my life before you. Here are the things that are in my life. Do you want me to get rid of some of these things? Do you want me to do other things? And with the things that I can't get rid of that are just part of things I can't control, how do I use these things for the Great Commission? And you can write these things down. You can begin to kind of journal some thoughts you're having. And the Holy Spirit can lead you to ideas and creative things you haven't thought of maybe. You can also share them after we're done. We can, as we're having some snacks and before lunchtime, before you all leave, we can be talking together about those things and encouraging one another. But let's take this seriously. We've got to start seeing our life this way. That our, as, as, as living Christian people, we are all missionaries on a mission, part of the Great Commission. And Paul says, I live this way, and I'm working together with God, and now I urge you, do the same thing. Don't take the grace of God in vain. With that, we'll pray. <clears throat> thank you, God, for this passage. I thank you that you allowed us to have some time to, to listen to your word and to be convicted by it. I pray that you would drive those points home, that you would help us to recognize and and move us to action, move us to not just understand these things intellectually, myself included, but to actually begin to do these things and to think about these things and to begin to make it a priority in our life to think, how how do I please you, God? Based on all the goodness and the grace you've given me, how do I please you? How do I live out a good example of the gospel in the world? And how do I share the gospel? Who can I be praying for? Who can I be ministering to? Help us to begin to see our life strategically that way, as if we're, when we pray to you, that we're reporting back to you as someone who's sent us on a mission and we're giving you updates on the mission. Help us to begin to see our life that way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.